Hi, everybody. Welcome back to What's Up Grimes. We are here today with Heather Hoff. She is a reactor operator and procedure writer at Diablo Canyon Nuclear Power Plant in California, a mother and a co-founder of Mothers for Nuclear, a grassroots organization with a simple mission to begin a dialogue with people who want to protect nature for future generations. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. And yes, I'm excited to have this dialogue with you guys. So excited. Would you start with telling us a little bit about yourself? I grew up in rural Arizona without many resources, with a wood-burning stove for heat and no air conditioning, if you can imagine that, in Arizona in the summer. It was pretty awful. And a composting toilet, composting everything else, you know, saving, reusing, trying to be efficient, living off the land, essentially and picking up trash and recycling, you know, caring about all those things and thought that's how I was going to save the planet. And, you know, over the years, tried to convince a lot of other people to be like me, use less, pick up trash, you know, care about the planet and got really frustrated over time that people didn't seem to want to do that. They didn't want to use less energy and kind of roundabout ended up in a career at Diablo Canyon. I was pretty nervous about it when I first started there. It's um, the re last remaining nuclear plant in California. And I went to Cal, Cal Poly, our local university here. And after I graduated, I couldn't find a job in engineering. And after, you know, a couple years of working random jobs, making cow thermometers and working in a winery and working in a clothing store, which was actually really fun, but I made very little money. Eventually I was like, I need a real job. I'm going to try Diablo Canyon, even though I'm really scared. <laughs> And I went in there with a, a lot of questions and asked questions for about six years before I was like, oh my gosh, nuclear is amazing. And it's kind of the answer to all those things that I, I used to care about, land conservation and energy availability and protecting the planet, like giving people energy with the least impact on our planet. Oh my gosh, nuclear is amazing. And so I completely changed my mind, but it took a really long time. And even after that, I had several cycles, you know, of getting kind of re-scared about nuclear when the Fukushima events happened. You guys have probably heard about that. Uh, super scary. I was in the control room at Diablo Canyon when that was going on, and there was so much media talking about it. And I almost, you know, <laughs> wanted to quit my job because I was like, oh my gosh, I can't work for an industry that can do this. But then, you know, when I learned more about what was really going on and the actual impacts, I kind of changed my mind again and realized that it's our fear of nuclear that caused us to overreact and evacuate people, which is actually the only part of the event that really hurt people. And yeah, so over the years, you know, had had a lot of cycles about nuclear and now kind of came out of that with the feeling that we have to do more nuclear, we have to protect our existing nuclear if we want to address climate change, reduce emissions, and give more energy to people to live high quality lives. Yeah, Diablo Canyon, we were going to shut down the plant a little bit earlier than expected. And I, I didn't really understand why. And when I learned that it was mostly political reasons for that 
I decided to start Mothers for Nuclear with my friend Kristen to try and communicate about nuclear differently because it is kind of a scary thing, you know, when you talk about nuclear. I have a question for you. We want to hear about Diablo Canyon. We want to hear about how you how you met your co-owner as well. But can you tell us a little bit about nuclear energy? What is it specifically that does all these good things? Because MK and I, when we sat down to record this, we were talking to one another. I think I thought I knew what nuclear was, but to me, the image is like 1950s and like it's very damaging and, and a scary thing. And then to hear somebody spin it in such a positive light, can you tell us more about that? It's funny and it's, yeah, it's such a hard thing to try and talk about because it is kind of scary. And our control room at Diablo Canyon does kind of look like the 50s, you know, like there's all these analog gauges and all these monitors and flashing lights and yeah, all this kind of old looking technology. But really, fission is our newest way kind of, of generating electricity. You know, we started way back when people were first trying to develop energy systems with wind power, you know, like turbines um, on windmills to, you know, help pump water out of the ground. And people used, you know, wood and burning dung and doing inside cooking for heat. And, you know, eventually we discovered fossil fuels and, you know, kind of transitioned from coal to natural gas and started developing solar power. But nuclear is kind of like this newer technology mm -hmm. that it you know it's it started developing in the i guess the 40s and 50s but eventually you know became what is now our largest and most powerful source of clean energy so it's pretty exciting because um, nuclear is different than fossil fuels um, we don't actually burn anything so there's no emissions and it's kind of like a fancy way of boiling water. It's similar to fossil fuel plants in that way, you know, like in fossil fuel plants, you, you burn coal or natural gas to create heat and make steam and drive a turbine. But in nuclear fission, um, we use uranium, which is a really large kind of unstable atom. And we can create an environment where that atom splits apart and gives off a whole huge quantity of clean energy. So that energy we can harness as heat to also make steam and drive turbines and make clean electricity. So it's pretty cool. I mean, it's fantastic because I didn't know about any of this, which I feel almost ashamed to say because I like to think that I'm on top of our latest advancements. I didn't even know about Diablo Canyon, which is what I'm planning to ask you about next until Grimes tweeted about it. And I was mm -hmm. like, that's interesting. And I started looking into it. Can you tell us a little bit about what goes on at Diablo Canyon and what your job looks like there as well? Yeah, of course. Um, I started as a plant operator where I was in charge of kind of monitoring and watching our, our plant systems. I would have daily rounds where I would go to different areas of the plant and check on equipment, make sure everything was functioning properly, take readings, um, trend parameters, and just basically run the plant and, you know, make sure everything was happening smoothly. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I went back to more training to get my license to operate the reactor. And that's a process that's regulated by our government, um, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So there's a very kind of detailed process. Um, this is actually my NRC license right up here that I earned after about two years of training in the classroom and on the simulator, doing all these exercises and practices to be ready for anything that could potentially happen at the plant and also learn how to operate it normally. So we lots and lots of practice 
in training. And um, then I was in the control room at Diablo Canyon, running the plant and making 10% of California's electricity, which is something that was pretty amazing to me when I realized how much power we generate on such a tiny little piece of land. There's another picture of Diablo Canyon right here with, there's actually a whale jumping in front of it, which is totally amazing. And you wouldn't think, you, you mentioned that like kind of scary image that you have when you think of nuclear. You don't really think of like whales and wildlife and birds of prey and like right. coyotes, you know, on the land surrounding the plant. And it's really just a haven for nature. and. Yeah, when I realized how much power we make and how little impact it has on the planet and the nature around us, that, that really just made me even more of a supporter. That's amazing. So back to your upbringing, I wanted to talk a little bit about that and how your father influenced your passion for the environment. Yeah, he was a big skeptic and um, also cared a lot about population, kind of thought that humans were the downfall of the planet. I don't know if you guys have heard of the book called The Population Bomb, but um, it's basically about, you know, how we're going to overpopulate the planet. We're going to get beyond capacity to support the people that we have. And, you know, my dad all talked about that all the time and <laughs> definitely influenced me, you know, about not having more than two kids, you know, want to replace your mom and want to replace your dad. Like, that's it. And <laughs> um, we, we need to stabilize somehow. There was a lot of, you know, fear around our planet can't support us if we keep up our current habits. And that's been one of the biggest shifts for me is that our population is going to keep growing for a while and the best way to stabilize is to develop countries and industrialize them and help them have access to energy and that's how we stabilize birth rates and as a part of that you know the best way to give all of these people including you know developed and non-developed countries a good quality of life is to give them reliable plentiful and affordable clean energy. And one of the best ways to do that is with nuclear. It's um, uranium that we were talking about earlier that, you know, does the fission process. Uranium is a really dense source of energy, which is one of the things that makes it great. And there's some great little stickers about that. I love U-235. That's the element. So cute. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, we have lots of other great stickers, you know, our Mothers for Nuclear logo. And one of my favorites that kind of talks about fission is split. You know, we talked about the atom splitting. Split, don't emit. So we're going to split atoms, not burn stuff that creates emissions. Yeah, so I've, my dad, he, he kind of put some fear in me about <laughs> being hopeful for the future, but I was able to reclaim that a little bit by learning more about nuclear. And it, it honestly gives me hope for our future as humans on this planet. And um, I was able to share a little of that hope with him as he was getting dementia um, near the end of his life. He had an, an unusual form of dementia called frontotemporal dementia, FTD. At the end, he kind of like, he was always kind of an engineer and a mad scientist, and he would ask me lots of questions about the plant. And at one point I had told him about our main generator system, which is like, there's all these electrical, you know, like converting AC to DC current. And it happens like in this process along the shaft of this turbine that's spinning at 1800 RPM. It's just, it's an engineering marvel. It's really exciting. Even though my dad was kind of skeptical about nuclear at the beginning, near the end, he just kind of would ask me to tell them the same story over and over again. Like, can you tell me about how your main generator works again? And it was just, it was the sweetest thing. 
It really sounds like he was so proud of you for what you ended up doing. And it's so good to hear you talk about the hope for population, because I remember when I was going through my bachelor's degree, the science classes I was taking, environmental science classes, had the same outlook as your father. It was the, we need to stop because the population's overwhelmed, Earth can't hold um, more kids. And then you have the Elon Musk plan where it's like, have as many kids as possible because we're going to go to Mars, so who really cares? (laughs) Just feels like a lot of hope. And that brings me to mothers for nuclear. Why mothers specifically? Because the way I found out about you, and I actually heard about you prior to Grimes tweeting about you because um, of ads I had seen. I was like, that's so interesting. So can you tell us about the mother component? Yeah, well, partly, um, you know, when my friend Kristen Zaitz, she's the co-founder of Mothers for Nuclear, we both work at Diablo Canyon. And as I mentioned, you know, we had heard that the plant was maybe going to shut down early and we both decided, like, we have to do something about this and what are we going to do? And we started thinking about the the reasons behind why the plant was shutting down when it was such a great plant and such a great source of energy for California. And we just realized not only how much misinformation is out there about nuclear, but how our industry hasn't done a good job about providing communicators, messengers that deliver a message that people can trust. You know, utilities are kind of scary and mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of like you have a corporate guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I don't believe that. As mothers, you know, we have an automatic trustworthiness in terms of caring for the future, wanting the best for our children. And Krista and I both realized that we were also different than a lot of people that we worked with. There's not a whole lot of females in our industry and not a whole lot of mothers. You know, it's kind of a challenging, taxing job at some points, especially, you know, when I was on shift as an operator. That's um, something that not a lot of females do. (laughs) And um, I was actually the first uh, woman to ever go through a pregnancy as an operator at Diablo Canyon. So, yeah, lots of blazing trails there. And, And we just decided that we had a special message to share and a special perspective and that Mothers for Nuclear, that would also you know, generate some attention because people are, hear that and they're like, you're, you're for nuclear? Wait, say it again. You're for nuclear? <laughs> it's just like, it's a little surprising. So it catches people off guard and makes them pay attention a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Back to your job. What does a day-to-day look like for you? Well, right now, I, I'm not an operator anymore. So I'm not in the plant or in the control room. I write procedures for operators. And it's um, really the best of both worlds for me because I don't have to work shift work anymore. Mm. (laughs) I do miss operating the plants and, you know, being in there like with all the big equipment and stuff, which is really cool and technical. But um, yeah, so I have a desk job in the administration building and I work four tens and I write all of our abnormal and emergency procedures. So that means, um, you know, anything that happens Everything we do at the plant, you know, operators follow written guidance that tells them how to operate the equipment, when to start certain pumps, when to like do this and do that. And it's all very controlled and pre-planned. And our guidance that I'm in charge of, our off-normal guidance is special because one, we don't hardly ever use it (laughs) because normally the plant just runs, you know, it's like, we call it hot, straight and normal. It's just like, it's making power 27 hours, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and just kind of cranks it out full power all the time and that's great but we also plan for all kinds of potential you know future events that anything could happen at any time so we have procedures you know what if this fails what if that fails and 
I get to um, you know help make sure all that guidance is up to date and clear and the operators can follow it. We practice it on the simulator, so I still get to go down onto the simulator and practice, which is one of my favorite parts of my previous job. You know, when I was actually an operator, um, we spend about 20% of our time in training to make sure that we're still proficient with, I mentioned all those controls in the control room, all the lights, all the indications. We need to be able to glance around and see, you know, that light's on, what does that mean? You know, like, what do we do next? And um, there's a lot to keep up on, so there's a lot of training, and I'm excited to still have, you know, my piece in that. So on the simulator, is it like everything goes wrong at once? Like, what does that look like? That's fascinating. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Usually it's a especially designed scenario, you know, that, that takes operators in training through, you know, a certain procedural flow path. Like, this fails and we practice this procedure and then maybe another failure comes in and it forces us to, you know, like reconsider our priorities, which one's more important and who's going to deal with what, how do we use the teamwork and our crew to deal with, you know, all of the most important issues. And it's really um, a huge like computer game and puzzle that requires skills that I never thought I would have or need. And yeah. um, it's really quite fun. It really works, you know, speaking from experience, being an operator in the control room when we had a failure, this one time, it was like a simulator scenario. Like all these lights start flashing, you know, like the Simpsons. And Homer I was Simpson, just thinking that. Like, yeah, and it's just like, meh, meh, like everywhere. And I just stop and I'm like, what is going on? Like, that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> I haven't really seen this before in my training. Take a minute and assess. And then I'm like, okay, my training kicks in and I'm just like, okay, this is happening. Check this, look here. Okay, this failed, this is happening. And like, here's the action that I take. And it just like, it kicked in and it worked even though it wasn't a particular failure that we had practiced. It was just kind of an ingrained process. And it's really interesting to see how that works. Yeah, it sounds like all that training paying off. And I wanna, ask a little bit more about Diablo Canyon and your activism with that. You had mentioned that there's some stuff going on that's very political. Can you explain that to us? Well, just real quick before that too, um, I, I feel like I just dove into like all this tactical stuff and yeah. part of what we do at Mothers for Nuclear is um, we're trying to communicate differently about nuclear energy in a way that's maybe less scary. And we say that we like to talk about emotions and feelings first, and then also be able to back it up with experience and facts and data. So a lot of what you just heard was like the experience and facts and data is <laughs> not necessarily going to make you feel better about nuclear because all those alarms going off, you know, it sounds yeah. kind of scary. Yeah, so what's happening politically with Diablo Canyon is in about um, 2016, there was a proposal announced to not relicense the plant um, in exchange for some state regulations that were happening where um, our state lands commission has a permitting process and I don't know how technical or how detailed to go. Like there were there were some delays in our plant construction and these permits didn't get shifted to match the 40-year cycle of the plant. So they were gonna expire early by accident. They just like it was a kind of administrative thing. Gavin Newsom, our governor, kind of decided to use this as leverage to try and get PGE to shut down the plant early. So this deal was made with a bunch of environmental groups <laughs> and um, even some of our unions, you know, I think they, they kind of felt like they saw the writing on the wall and they wanted to help their members in the best possible way. So 
they kind of got on board with the company and the environmental groups and everyone's like, yeah, we're going to shut down Diablo Canyon and here's our plan for how we're going to replace the energy with um, other clean energy. And so it's going to be great. And so <laughs> they put this, this plan out. I work for the utility and um, I cannot speak for them. I do all my advocacy separately on my own time and I'm, you know, I'm allowed to express my own opinions, but I've been working against them for the last six years. They want to shut down the plant and I'm like, no, that's the wrong thing. So it's been kind of a fine line between my employment and what I care about and what I think is right. And um, I guess generally the first few years, our company was headed down this path of, yes, we're going to decommission the plant starting in 2025. And we were like full bore preparing for the decommissioning process and, you know, no, no talk and no hope of continued operation past 2025. But um, just recently, it's become, I think, more clear that California doesn't have enough electricity at all you know like we're facing blackouts and it's climate change we're in a drought so we have less hydropower and um, there have been fires so you know like smoke blocks solar and mm -hmm. there's, there's just all these different impacts to other energy systems that maybe they weren't prepared for or thinking about when they made this initial agreement to shut down the plant so we know we don't have enough electricity and we're not even talking about clean electricity you know like california is still 50 percent natural gas for our electricity and we also import 30 percent of our electricity so those are you know huge amounts that aren't necessarily clean energy and california wants to be a climate leader and we also want to keep the lights on so <laughs> i think um you know kind of like a last minute knee-jerk reaction the same governor gavin newsom is like oh we need to keep running diablo so there's been a really big shift lately and we're kind of trying to make this big pivot as a company to keep running the plant longer. And um, I think he owes us all a huge apology because he started this mess in the first place. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's kind of what's going on. So speaking of the situation with Diablo Canyon, I found out about you through Isabel, I may be butchering her last name, Bomeek of Isidope. Yeah. Okay. How did yeah, you guys well, get connected with her? Yeah, so the pro-nuclear community is rather small still. We kind of all know each other. And as soon as someone new gets interested in nuclear, they, they can kind of, you know, do internet searches on nuclear and find Mothers for Nuclear and find Stand Up for Nuclear and Generation Atomic and Environmental Progress and all these other groups that have supported nuclear. And so Izzy did that she she found us on social media and reached out to us and um you know talked about how she had learned more about nuclear energy through a nasa scientist carolyn porco who was in charge of a lot of the imaging for the cassini program and i guess carolyn had tweeted about some advanced reactors and izzy saw that and got all excited and started doing her research and then realized like advanced nuclear that's really cool but existing nuclear is also really cool and really great and we need to protect it. And so she she felt a kind of, I don't know if she would describe it as sudden, but <laughs> she came onto our scene suddenly and was like, oh, I'm gonna save Diablo. And we were like, yeah, so great. <laughs> yeah, so I mentioned like our pro-nuclear community were pretty small still, but um, we definitely believe in having all the voices and all the different angles. Like she comes and she reaches young people and like cool people and which I ex expect like lots of your followers on this podcast are like that group 
And it's yeah. great, you know, moms, maybe maybe we don't reach the young, cool people quite as much. <laughs> we, we reach other moms and women. You know, Generation Atomic uh, reaches out to, a lot to students and you know, residents in areas where nuclear plants are built and like mobilizes them to take action to support nuclear. And so like there's all these different groups now that um, have different voices and care about slightly different things and reach different people. And we're kind of all working together to mobilize whoever we can reach to help build this movement and make it more like you know the environmental movement it's huge and there's so many people that care about clean energy and renewables we need the same thing for nuclear nuclear needs more advocates there's so many people that support renewables but yeah not so many that support nuclear so we're working on building that up you just touched on this. I know that you guys work with what I read, three partner organizations, World Nuclear Energy Day, which is apparently today. Today, yes. Oh, happy World <laughs> Energy Day. Yes. <laughs> and then Students for Nuclear Energy and Generation Atomic. For World Nuclear Energy Day, how did you spend today? We had a celebration at lunchtime where we invited oh. a whole bunch of other advocates from all these other groups to come and share what they're excited about because um, World Nuclear Energy Day has been happening for a few years now. It always happens on December 2nd of every year. And that date is um, to commemorate the first chain reaction at the Chicago pile. Oh. Which is when we like made the first, you know, nuclear fission chain reaction. And so it's, it's a super exciting day for nuclear. And um, Jim Scherer decided to create, you know, World Nuclear Energy Day to help celebrate that and to help spread awareness of nuclear energy. He has a theme every year. The theme for this year is a chain reaction. And I just love the theme because there's been so much great happening for nuclear lately that I feel like it truly has been a chain reaction of people supporting nuclear. You know, like I, I mentioned all these different groups, um, Generation Atomic, Stand Up for Nuclear, Izzy's group, she started called Safe Clean Energy. And all of us were just like bouncing, you know, like off each other and creating a chain reaction of support for nuclear and it's really exciting so we had a lunchtime meeting to celebrate and get together and share success stories and share our excitement and what we're looking forward to in the future yeah now you're on a podcast it's great yeah. we got you on a great day <laughs> great day yeah i didn't even think about it when we first planned this date but it's perfect no um another question i have for you is i know that you guys have international chapters as well how do those chapters work together yeah um so we're still pretty small at Mothers for Nuclear, and um, we love it when other moms and women contact us and are like, we want to be Mothers for Nuclear too. And we're like, great, go do it. <laughs> How can we help a little bit? Because <laughs> we're busy and we're full-time working moms. Oh, and... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we have a great group of women over in Germany, which, as you may know, is a very challenging place place for nuclear. They decided to shut down their nuclear plants after the Fukushima events mm -hmm. happened. And they've been gradually doing that over the years. So our German Moms for Nuclear have a big challenge over there. They've been having local events, rallies in Berlin and do a lot of, you know, publication on social media and reaching out to their, you know, politicians and legislators and you know, just trying to shift the tide over there. And just recently, um, one of the, you know, things, the positive outcomes for nuclear over the last year is that Germany decided to keep running their last three nuclear plants for longer than they had planned um, because of the energy crisis. So that's, it's a big shift. It's a little win because we want them to like keep running them longer mm -hmm. and maybe restart some of the ones they shut down but um it's a great shift and it's, it shows you know some positive momentum 
in the country there. We also have the UK Mums for Nuclear. And in, also in Australia, there are mums there as well. <laughs> and um, yeah, we have a chapter in Canada and it's basically, you know, a group of caring volunteers that also have, you know, full-time jobs and kids. And we just all try to, you know, support each other and share messaging and information and build each other up and create more of a chain reaction of support. That is so cool. So they're all, do you guys ever meet in person or are they all mostly Zoom or Teams meetups? I've never met any of the German or Canadian or Austria. Yeah, I haven't met any of them in person actually. <laughs> yeah, so um, I hope to someday. Um, some of our um, other you know members from other partner organizations have traveled to Europe to help participate in some of their events. I mentioned the group called Stand Up for Nuclear that's run by a Californian woman, Paris Ortiz Wines, and um, she's done a great job of you know, building this huge global community of people that hold stand up for nuclear events where, you know, you stand up and you show your support for nuclear. She's, you know, organized events around the world, you know, in the Philippines and in, you know, Amsterdam and um, Japan and so many Brazil, you know, like around the world. It's really great to, to have connections with so many people that care about the same thing. We all want more clean energy and we want to protect our planet in the process. So back to the mother component, how do you involve your children in the activism? Oh my gosh, uh, my daughter's in the room right next door here. She's probably on the computer <laughs> <laughs> playing Minecraft. <laughs> um, when she was younger, she was... Um, she was pretty excited about it and she would help me make videos like be in the videos and say stuff and like in 2016 when we had the state lands commission meeting where they were you know trying to decide whether to go forward with this joint proposal thing to shut down the plant that i mentioned um my daughter was actually at the meeting there and um when I went to speak, she she ran, you know, from the back of the room across, and like wove through these people and came and jumped up into my arms and, you know, sat there. She was much younger at the time. Well, six. Yeah, she's um, I guess I, oh, she was about seven then. So um, she she sat, you know, in, in my arms while I gave my testimony to the State Lands Commission. And she was you know, fixing my hair for me. <laughs> it was very darling. Um, but she's 13 now and uh, not so interested in being in the public eye. And yeah. um, she does help me a lot behind the scenes. She made a really cool GIF about California energy that shows how if we keep adding more solar, it, it helps us have more clean energy during the day. But there's these still huge amounts of natural gas that we're using in the morning and the evening. And how if we keep building more solar, it doesn't help with that. It doesn't help us address all that other natural gas usage and it's great because i don't know how to make gifts yeah so um yeah she's made some really great um graphics for us as well recently so she's building her skills in different ways outside the public eye all the teenagers yes <laughs> so heather you've talked to us about why nuclear energy nuclear energy is important why we should care about it what can we do about it for those of us that are not engineers and that do not work in the field? What can our audience do? 
I think it's great just to follow um, lots of those pro-nuclear groups that I've been mentioning, Stand Up for Nuclear, Generation Atomic, Mothers for Nuclear, help support us on social media, share those messages with your friends. Lots of times what we're saying isn't technical. It isn't like about how the plant runs or how radiation works, you know, like it's a lot more content about what we care about and why. And you don't have to be a, you know, a nuclear expert to care about those same things and to share the messaging about why those things are important. Yeah, so it sounds like really the support is putting the information out there and making people aware of what nuclear energy is versus what MK and I do as a educated grown adult ladies and we just think of it as, as negative it's important to get that information out there mm -hmm. yeah yeah we definitely um we like to like like i mentioned before also talk about feelings not just um you know try to educate the public because like if you really think about it do you want someone to come educate you <laughs> about really. something that you don't really like you know <laughs> like so um we try and offer ourselves as a resource. We say, you know, like if you have concerns or fears, worries, let's talk about them. And I'm not gonna shut you down and say, you don't need to worry about that because of blah, blah, blah. We have, you know, all this equipment and all these barriers and all these different levels of protection. And that's maybe what our um, corporation might say, or, you know, the industry historic messaging might be like, but um, we'll say, that makes sense. Like we used to think that too. And like, yeah, it does sound scary, doesn't it? And like, we still have these feelings and as humans, we're emotional creatures and we react to things that seem scary and that's okay. And then we have to pivot to like what the actual data is and what are we gonna do about, you know, our energy situation and things that we really care about. and. Um, you know, th those fears are fine to have and acknowledge, but um, as, you know, also rational creatures, what do we do to, to address those fears and put them aside when we have to make the right decisions for our energy future? Yeah, you're mentioning the fears. Can you tell us what the biggest misconceptions are that you hear? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's just, there's so many. I'm trying to think. Um, Probably the biggest and, you know, one of my last holdouts for myself personally is just about radiation. Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty scary. Cancer is a scary idea. And, you know, I've gone through lots of investigations myself, you know, to try and convince myself that it's okay or not. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I guess... I don't know how many years ago it was, but I had you know heard of a few coworkers dying of cancer, and I was getting pretty worried about it. I started making lists of all the people that I knew that were my coworkers. You know, like oh my gosh, this person works in nuclear and they died of cancer, and this person died. Of, and like I was keeping track of people and kind of spinning myself into a bit of a frenzy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, you know, I realized there's some really important information out there that 40% of people will be diagnosed with some form of cancer at some point in their lives. Mm. And I was like, what? That's crazy. That's huge. And so I realized that what I was seeing wasn't anything, you know, abnormal, out of the ordinary, and um, that, you know, cancer is a very common thing. And when I look into the causes of it, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of unknowns still, but, yeah. you know, a lot of potential chemical um, contributors and air pollution is huge. Smoking is huge, you know, stuff that we breathe in. 
and um, radiation, low level radiation, like what I experience as a plant worker, doesn't really have any impact on cancer. So um, that was a hard thing to, to learn and realize, you know, and something that I think a lot of people just have that association and it's really hard to break. It's hard yeah. for me to break even now. Like I still sometimes yeah. um, wonder. And um, so one of the things that I do to help communicate about that is I actually, I have this um, necklace. It is made of uranium glass. Um, <laughs> my dad was a glass blower. So speaking of my dad, you know, oh. the, the mad scientist guy that he was, um, he made a lot of <laughs> the glass. And um, he, you know, he was uh, passed away before I started Mothers for Nuclear, but um, he taught some classes. And so there's all these glass blowing students. And one of them is like, oh yeah, I'll make you some nuclear pendants. <laughs> so she made us these, they have a little atom symbol in there. Oh, and, that's so cool. Um, yeah, the uranium, this is a UV light. So under UV light, uranium fluorescent. Wow. What? I want one of so, these. Me yes, too. Blows. <laughs> Because the, the UV light excites the uranium atom in a way that um, when, yeah, it, it gives off that that green, like that scary green. <laughs> so I'm wearing this around my neck and um, it's radioactive and it's a great, you know, talking point about how there is radiation all around us and it's not necessarily dangerous, you know, and um, it, it can be scary. like. When I first started making these and wearing them, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die of throat, like chest cancer. And then I'm going to be like the worst example of nuclear advocacy. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's like that fear. And then there's like the rational side that you have to bring in. And um, I actually took this to our radiation protection experts at the plant and had them measure it. And, you know, I'm not an expert in that field, but... They told me a lot of stuff about like how, you know, the type of radiation that it is and, you know, the alpha, it doesn't penetrate, so it's not dangerous. And um, a lot of technical stuff that if you tell normal people that they might get scared, but um, that's the rational side that's like, okay, it's it's really fine, even though it, it might not feel fine. Um, this is also something that my dad had. He had this little duck. It's also uranium glass and it glows. It's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. So, yeah. That's and, so cute. Uh, yeah. Just over Thanksgiving, actually, too, I realized that um, most of the dishes in my mom's glass cabinet are uranium glass. And my sister brought out this huge spotlight, this <laughs> a UV spotlight. And we were like checking all of the dishes. And um, my mom's uh, partner and caregiver was like, why is there so much radioactive stuff in our house? Oh my gosh, I'm kind of scared. <laughs> so yeah, it was a great talking point for our family just a couple weeks ago. <laughs> so how can someone get involved with your organization? Oh my gosh, there's so many ways. And um, you can sign up on our email list. You can send us donations. And um, like, honestly, what I said before about we love people that are go-getters and just like want to come in and be like, here's what I want to do. And can you help me? And like, yeah, of course, we'll do that. Um, we don't have a whole lot of like guidance. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we definitely want to meet you. We want to hear what you care about and why and how nuclear energy may or may not fit in with that. And we want to hear if you have any concerns and um, how you think we could you know, answer other people's concerns. And um, yeah, just basically how, how to grow our movement and how to convince other people of the importance of supporting nuclear.
Yeah, and I saw that you guys had t-shirts, if I'm not mistaken. Do some of the proceeds go towards the advocacy? Yes. We actually, right now, we don't really know how to spend our money. (laughs) (laughs) I love the honesty. It's so funny. Like, everyone's always asking for more money, but, like, really, we need help. We love people that um, are excited about maybe doing graphic design, if we want to volunteer to help us do communications, writing stories. Um, Oh, awesome. We we get a very small amount of donations, you know, through our website, and we get a, a small amount of those proceeds from people that buy our Mothers for Nuclear t-shirts and merch. Really the best way that you could help is to buy the merch and then like wear it and post on social media about it and you know like really share the message to a, a broader audience. So many of our audience members are artists and are in fact graphic artists so I'm interested once oh this podcast gosh. posts. Yes. yes. If anybody wanted to get into contact with the organization what's the best way to do so? Yeah, well, on our website, we have all our contact information. You can sign up on our form there to join our email list or just send us a message. You can always email info at mothersfornuclear.org. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, lots of other social platforms. So you can probably find us on, um, we don't do very much on TikTok, but we're <laughs> doing a little more you know video. What? We're right content. there with you. We don't know what to do on TikTok. Yeah, yeah who knows? <laughs> yeah, so um, we're, we're kind of like spread around all of those platforms and we'll respond to any questions or you know, request for contact. And we'd love to hear from anyone who's interested in what we do and why and wants to join the effort. Yeah. Thank you so much, Heather, for joining MK and I on the actual nuclear day. We really appreciate your <laughs> time. If you guys want to contact Heather, we'll leave the social media links in our description below. Thank you so much for joining us, Heather. Thanks so much for having me. And I, I love you guys. Thank you so much.